It's great to see you all here this morning, and uh, good to be able to get together and talk about God's Word. And uh, as I said this morning, we're going to be talking about baptism. And it's very important that we discuss this subject and discuss it frequently because and this is going to sound like a very alarming statement, but I challenge you to disagree with it. Just think about it. Most people, most people in the world don't believe what the Bible teaches about baptism. You may disagree with that now. Perhaps at the end of the study, you'll change your mind. Most people don't believe what the Bible teaches about baptism. Now, there are several groups included in that disbelief. For example, there are atheists who don't believe in God and don't believe in the Bible anyway. And so they don't know what the Bible teaches. They don't care what the Bible teaches. They think it's all foolishness. And then there are people who don't believe what the Bible teaches about how one should be baptized. In the Bible, you'll see uh, folks immersed in water. And there are a lot of traditions today that sprinkle on the forehead or pour a little water on the head as opposed to immersing in water as a burial. And then, of course, you've got some who believe in baptizing innocent little children. In the Bible, Acts 8:12, for example, shows that men and women are baptized. Mark 1.5, people who are at the age where they can confess sin, not little children who are innocent and pure. And then you have another category, some who do not believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. Uh, they may believe baptism is very important. They may say that the Lord expects us to be baptized, to be obedient, that it's commanded, that it's an outward sign of an inward faith or something like that, but they would disagree in saying that it's necessary for salvation. They would say that one can be saved at some point prior to baptism, and then the baptism can wait for other purposes. The main thing I want to talk about this morning is the, the, that final problem, that baptism is for salvation. And I want to show you all the passages that I could find in the New Testament that speak of the purpose of baptism. And we're going to try to keep an open mind, and we're just going to ask some simple questions about each one of these passages. Now, the handout that you have before you is, is very simple. It has uh, boxes that you can check, and uh, two questions per, per scripture reference. And uh, you can check one of those or the other, or if you don't see the correct conclusion represented, you can write it in the space provided there for your own study. And the point here is, I'm not trying to force you towards a conclusion. We're going to look at these passages and you draw your own conclusion about the purpose for baptism. And we're just going to ask, not what mom or dad says or what my church leader said growing up or what I heard one time or what the guy on the TV says, but simply what does God say in his word about the purpose for baptism. Now with that said, let's start in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Let's look at what is said there in what is called the Great Commission. These are some of Jesus' final words to his disciples when he ascended into heaven. He gave them these marching orders. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now notice he gives them, and I got the slide wrong there, but in verses 19 and 20, that seems to be verses 18 and 19, but in verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives them two steps for making disciples. The charge is to go make disciples. Now, how do you do that? Well, you do that by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that Jesus had taught his disciples. So let's ask this question. What does it say? Does it say Christians make disciples by baptizing believers or not baptizing believers? I think it's pretty simple there to see that baptizing believers is part of the process for making a disciple, right? Okay, let's move on to another part of the Great Commission. This is the way it's recorded in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. After saying in verse 15 that the apostles should go into the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation... Jesus says this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So what does it say? Does it say that baptism is for salvation or does it say that baptism is not for salvation? Does it say something else that's not represented by either one of those, either one of those choices? If so, write it in the blank provided. He does say whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Now some will say, well, the second part of that doesn't say whoever does not believe and is not baptized will not be saved or will be condemned. But why would somebody who doesn't believe even think about baptism? Does Jesus really have to say that whole thing in the second part of that, that verse? Of course he doesn't. If you don't believe, well, you're not going to be baptized. It's not necessary for him to stipulate that part of it. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. We know what will happen if you do not believe and are not baptized. Let's go to John chapter 3, verse 5. This is Jesus' evening discourse with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night for fear of the Jews. He doesn't want to be discovered as someone who, who believes that Jesus is more than just a mere human teacher. And so he goes to Jesus and he confesses faith in him. And so Jesus talks to him about the new birth. And here's what he says according to verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You note the conditional nature of that statement marked by the word unless. So let's look at the, the handout here, at the question. Baptism is necessary to enter the kingdom of God or is not necessary to enter the kingdom of God? Now some may look at that and say, well, you know, he just says water. He doesn't say baptism. Uh, it could be a figurative water, figurative washing, figurative uh, ceremonial process he's talking about, something besides baptism. Read John chapter 3. Baptism is all over that chapter. In verse 23, uh, John is baptizing in, 
in the Jordan River near a certain area designated there because there's a lot of water there. And in John 4, verses 1 and 2, you see Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more in water than John and his disciples. So water and baptism is connected together all through that chapter and the chapter that follows it. But answer that question for yourself. Is baptism necessary to enter the kingdom of God or not? Now the kingdom of God is God's rule over your life. You're giving yourself in submission to the king that brings salvation. And so it's very important, I think we would all agree, to be in the kingdom of God. But let's go on to the next verse. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Very well-known passage of Scripture. Part of the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. A response to the question, what must we do? And Peter gives the answer right here in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So two things here lead to the forgiveness of sins, that is repentance and baptism. So look at that. Does it say that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins? Or does it say that baptism is not for the forgiveness of sins? It either says one or the other. And I've talked to a lot of people who will read that verse and try to tell you that it says baptism is not for the forgiveness of sins. Yet Peter says in black and white, whatever color lettering you have in your translation of the Bible, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. People ask me sometimes, should I get a study Bible? What's a great recommendation for a study Bible? I usually don't recommend study Bibles. Uh, Apologetics Press has come out with a good one. And so uh, nowadays I can recommend that one. But before that, I wouldn't recommend them because among other problems, usually almost all of them mess up Acts 2.38. You'll see the longest paragraph in your whole study Bible under this very easy to understand verse of scripture because people are so dedicated to the position that baptism is not for the forgiveness of sins, they have to spill a lot of ink to explain away Peter's simple message here that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Let's go on to the next one. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 35 and following. You see Philip preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch They're out in the middle of nowhere on the road. And they meet each other on the road. Philip preaches Jesus to the eunuch. Here's what happens next. Verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he was talking about Isaiah there. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. Question, after hearing the good news about Jesus... The eunuch asked to be baptized in water or in the Spirit. 
How many times does the word water appear there? I think I read it four times. Used to, I would take people to this passage to talk about immersion. Because you can see Philip and the eunuch both going down into the water and coming up out of the water. It's clear that they weren't just doing a sprinkling here. But now it's become important to point out that the substance in which the eunuch was baptized is water. Because as we have seen and as we will see in other passages, there are plenty of verses that show that baptism is necessary for salvation. And used to, people would quibble over whether they actually say that. But it's undeniable that these passages say baptism is for salvation. So now, more recently, I've heard people say this. Well, sure, a certain kind of baptism is for salvation, but not baptism in water. And they'll make it some kind of spiritual baptism, some kind of overwhelming force, maybe the baptism of the Holy Spirit itself, and not baptism in water. And they'll say, if you pray the sinner's prayer, if you have faith alone, that's your baptism in the Spirit. And then later you need to have baptism in water to join the church or to express that faith or demonstrate it or something like that. And so it's very important to look and see that the converts were baptized in water. And as Peter said, at that point of coming up out of the water, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it's not a baptism in the Spirit. Now let's go on. Here's Acts twenty-two sixteen. This is the story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, later known as Paul. Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus. Paul went blind. He had to be led by hand to Damascus where he was told to wait. He waited three days. And during that three-day time period, he was a believer. He prayed. He fasted. Yet when Ananias, the preacher, came to his house to tell him what he needed to do, here's what he said according to Acts 22, verse 16. Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. So the question, baptism washes away your sins or does not wash away your sins? Now, if you're saved by faith alone without baptism, you have no sins to wash away at the point of your baptism. But if you're not saved until baptism, then baptism is when your sins are washed away. What did Ananias say? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Let's look at the next passage. We're going to spend a little bit more time on Romans 6, 3 and 4. Marcus read that for us so well at the beginning of the service. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know, Paul writes, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Several questions on this verse. First of all, baptism gets you into Christ or does not get you into Christ? Are you already in Christ at the point of baptism because you believed? Or is baptism the gateway into the body of Christ? Look at it again. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Next question. Baptism 
does put you in contact with Christ's death or does not put you into contact with Christ's death. One objection to the idea that baptism is for salvation is that we're getting the element of salvation wrong. And people will say, it's not water, it's blood that's important. It's not the water in the baptistry that washes away your sins, but the blood of Jesus Christ. I agree wholeheartedly. Look, there's nothing magic in the water behind me. It's not magic. I don't believe in baptismal regeneration as people accuse us of believing that, that there's something holy about the water itself. I believe that you're saved through faith. And part of the faith is that when I submit to baptism and I am buried in the water, God takes away my sins at that point because that's when he puts me into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe that by faith. Jesus' death is not literally lying in that water, but I know by faith that God is watching me demonstrate Jesus' Jesus's death by the death of my own man of sin. And when I am buried in that water, I believe by faith that that's when God puts me into contact with the saving blood of Christ. And I believe that because of Romans 6, 3, and 4 and other passages. Next question. After baptism, you were raised to walk in newness of life? Or before baptism, you were raised to walk in newness of life? Look, salvation is newness of life. It's new life. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. But you're made alive with Christ. When does that happen? Look at the verse. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When does that happen? Before or after baptism. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Another important passage. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, doesn't matter. And all were made to drink of one spirit. The question is, are we baptized into one body or are we already in the body when we are baptized? What does this passage of Scripture say? In one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. And that body, friends, is the body of, of Christ. As Bob had us think about in the Lord's Supper this morning, we're all a part of that body as members of Christ. Galatians 3, 27. Short verse, nothing complicated about it. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. One translation says have been clothed with Christ. You put on clothes, you're in your clothes, right? Take off your clothes, you're out of your clothes. What does it mean to put on Christ? What does the passage say? Does it say baptism gets you into Christ or that baptism does not get you into Christ? Look at another verse here. Colossians 2.12. This is another one I want to ask more than one question about. In baptism, I'm sorry, I need to read the verse. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Kind of get in the middle of the thought there, but Paul 
writes these long flowing sentences. So he says, you're buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. So the first question here, in baptism we are buried with Christ or we're not buried with Christ? We're saved by the death of Christ, right? So we want to be buried with him. We want our old person of sin to die with Christ. We want to be crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. So when does that happen? In baptism, are we buried with Christ or not? Another question. What does it say? Baptism is the work of God or the work of man? I'm sure you've heard the objection to the teaching that baptism is for salvation. We're saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I believe that 100%. We are not saved by our own works of merit that we do. We can't do anything to save ourselves. Not in the sense of earning our salvation or being good enough to go to heaven or having a righteousness that matches the righteousness of God that, that deserves to bask in the eternal light of God's righteousness. None of that. We're not saved by works that we do. We're saved by grace. We don't deserve it. But there is work that's being done. It's not your work. You don't do any work when someone lowers you into baptism. Even the, the act of baptism itself is a passive thing. You put yourself in the hands of, of someone else who lowers you into the water and brings you up out of the water again. So what does Paul say? Is it the powerful working of you? Did you raise Christ from the dead? Are you raising yourself up from spiritual death? Or is it according to the powerful working of God? What does it say about baptism? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Again, this is in context referring to Noah's Ark, where eight persons were saved through water. So water is an important part of the context here. Here's what Peter writes. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which is it? Does it say that baptism saves you? Or does it say that baptism does not save you? Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Just believe and you're saved immediately. What does Peter say? Does he say that baptism saves you? Or does he say that baptism does not save you? Let's go on to the next one. This verse is not necessarily about baptism. I think it includes baptism. It has an implication about baptism. And that's why I have it in this, in this worksheet. It's about faith and the nature of the faith of the Bible. I include it here because a lot of people say faith is just mental acknowledgement, just something that's all internal. It has nothing to do with action, doesn't demand action. Well, here are the words of James in James 2.17. So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. This is the only place in the Bible where faith alone is mentioned. And what does he say? Faith without works is dead or living? What kind of faith do you want to have? A living faith 
or dead faith. I have one more verse, and then I want to bring this all to a conclusion. Ephesians 4, verse 5. Here's the whole context of verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What does it say? Now there is one baptism or more than one baptism. There was a time when there was more than one baptism or other baptisms besides water baptism. You read about all kinds of baptisms. Uh, baptism of fire, baptism of the Spirit, the baptism of John. And so when Paul writes there is one baptism, he doesn't mean there is absolutely only one baptism. Historically, there has only been one baptism. That's not what he means. What he means to say here is, for you as, as, as a, a sinner who needs salvation, there is only one baptism that counts. Now, from what we've studied, which baptism do you think it is? I submit to you that we've seen that it's baptism in water for the forgiveness of sins. And that baptism is absolutely essential for salvation. To be very clear, until the point where you have believed with all your heart and confessed that Jesus is the Son of God and repented of your sins and have been baptized in water and raised to walk in newness of life, until that point, you're lost. That's the purpose for baptism. It's very plain. And so a question, what do I do if I've not received the one baptism? Maybe I've never been baptized. We need to be baptized. Well, what if, what if I've been baptized, but I wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of sins? That's a really good question. Because there are a lot of folks who've just done what they've been taught, and they sincerely believed in Christ, and, and they wanted to do the right thing, and, and they have done... The right thing as far as they knew how. And maybe you're out there and, and you were baptized and now you're not sure that you're baptized for the right reason. What do you do? What should happen next? I want to take you to an example in Acts chapter 19. I know I put the closing slide up, but we're not done yet. Let's go over to Acts chapter 19. Now there's something interesting that happens here that I think applies to you if, if you're wondering about your past baptism and you're not sure about it. Let's start reading in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. The word disciple means follower. These were people who were sincerely following Christ the best way they knew how. They believed in God. They believed the promises. They wanted to do what's right. They were good people, okay? They were disciples. They were worshiping on Sunday. They were going to church. Paul says, verse 2, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, the reason he asked that is because Christian baptism is preached the way we saw in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the non-miraculous indwelling of the Holy Spirit there that all believers receive whenever they're baptized. And so if you've heard 
Christian baptism preached in the proper way, you've heard about the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul was asking disciples this question because as an apostle, he had the power to lay hands on people so that they might receive the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit. Not the same thing as what Peter was preaching in Acts 2.38, but related in terms of the Holy Spirit. So he's asking them, do you have the power of spiritual gifts? He might have been surprised by their answer. They said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That got Paul asking some questions. If they haven't heard of the Holy Spirit, then they haven't heard Acts 2.38. And so he continues to press. He said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. As I said, before Christ, John's baptism was an important baptism. It was for the forgiveness of sins. You can look at Mark 1, 4, and 5. People came to John confessing their sins. They were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. But John's baptism was different from Christian baptism in one very important point, and that was John was telling people to look toward the future for the Christ, and Christian baptism tells us to look back on the death of Jesus Christ. John's baptism predicted our baptism puts faith in a historical event that's already happened. So here's how Paul explains it to them. Verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. So what did they do? Paul says, you know, you were baptized. You were baptized in water. You were immersed. But you had the wrong idea, the wrong faith when you were baptized because you were baptized at the point after which John's baptism was effective. So what did they do? Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. It was easy to take care of. Hey, we had the wrong purpose in mind. God's given us an opportunity to hear a more accurate portrayal of the truth. Let's take care of what is lacking as far as we can today. And let's be baptized. If you haven't been baptized for the remission of sins, I want to recommend the same thing to you. Take care of what is lacking and be baptized. We're going to sing an invitation song. If you want to do that, the water is ready this morning for you to do that. We're prepared to baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We're always prepared. You can call me this afternoon, you can call me tonight, and wake me up in the middle of the night. When you're ready, there are many people here who are willing to help you do what is necessary. But if you haven't been baptized for the forgiveness of sins, you're lost in sin, and you're in need of forgiveness. You need the Lord, you need the Savior. He waits for you. We're going to sing this song. If we can help you in any way, let us know right now as we stand together and as we sing.